I don't know about you, but we're always looking for ways to get our kids involved and give back in our local community. That's why we're excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. I would love for Violet to do this program when she's in high school. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, it's also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Do you realize we're both eating Pringles right now? I'm eating cheese and you're eating sour cream and onion. This is not a good sign. Not good. Clearly Pringles are going to be our pilot vice. Yeah. (laughs) Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living at the moment in Puerto Rico, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of a that is life in Los Angeles. Today, we're going to talk about decisiveness, to be or not to be decisive. And then we'll be hearing from our Fantasy Island writer's assistant, Kyra Bennett, who has been thrown into the deep end of the pool on her first show. And our Hollywood hack this week will save you money and make you feel fabulous. But first, we have an update. Yes. So Sarah, we got this email from Elizabeth about her acting class and we loved it. I will read it for you now. My weekly acting class is taught by the infamous Leslie Kahn and all the students are experienced working actors who believe that we should constantly be furthering our knowledge of the craft. This past week, we worked on sides for Fantasy Island and all of the actors love the material. Different performers were assigned Rourke, Peter, Christine, and Ruby. Every single one of us agreed that the scenes in those sides were some of the juiciest, most well-written scenes that we'd gotten to work on in the past few months. It really whet our appetite to see what you do with the show. I mean, Sarah, wow, what a major compliment. I know. Plus, it was just so nice of her to, you know, let us know that. We never would have known. And it's such a cool thought to be like, oh my gosh, there are actors performing our sides before there's even a show. It's so cool. And Sarah, for anyone who out there who doesn't know, we should explain what a side is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So when we're reading actors for parts, the casting director sends out what's called sides. And basically sides are just scenes pulled from a script for different characters And so when they say they were doing the sides, it means they were taking some scenes people had gotten that they were sent for auditions 
and um, using those for acting class. So that is like, that is just so fun. Yeah. Thank you, Elizabeth, for sharing that with us. Yes. That made our day. (laughs) Okay, Sarah, it is time for From the Treadmill Desk Of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's to be or not to be decisive. Yes. And I would say that usually we are pretty decisive. Decisiveness is a very important quality in a showrunner. Indecisive showrunners can be incredibly frustrating to work with for writers and for production. There's just it, it indecisiveness creates inefficiency. Yes. In showrunning that can can be very hard to deal with. Hard to deal with and expensive. I mean, the phrase yeah. time is money very much applies to television because the later things are, the more they cost. So being decisive is important just for staying on schedule. And sometimes it doesn't even matter what decision you make. It's just better to make a decision. Other times, however, and this is where the to be decisive or not to be decisive comes in, sometimes the decision really does matter. And you were pointing out the other day that we also have to have discipline about not just making a decision to make a decision, but to only make a decision if it was at the right time. Yeah, we recently were in a situation where someone wanted us to make a decision and it just felt like we didn't have enough information, first of all. So it would have been pretty easy to make a bad decision. Mm-hmm. And it also felt like a situation where other people needed to figure out a solution to the problem other than us. Right. Or to kind of come to us with more options. So the easy thing to do would have been to make a decision, but it wouldn't have been the right thing to do in that moment. So it was just interesting for us because we do, I think, kind of pride ourselves on being decisive in our job. And it was like, wait a minute, in this case, it's actually better in the big picture if we take a step back and don't make a decision. Yes. And I was like chomping at the bit to make a decision because I just wanted the matter resolved and like to like take it off the mental load. Because once you've decided, you can move on. And whenever you don't decide on something, it's just weighing on your brain. But you were like, no, no, let's wait. And you were, uh, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, obviously we should wait. But I'm just so programmed at this point to want to like motor forward, just like whatever it takes. Right. To just like put put the check in the box and move along. Yes, because I'm just like, at this point, I don't care, you know, but you have to keep caring. (laughs) Sarah, in favor of making decisions, um, Chuck has a quote, which is, be decisive, right or wrong, make a decision. The road of life is paved with flat squirrels that couldn't make a decision. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Don't be a flat squirrel. Don't be a flat squirrel, but also when when there's not a car heading your direction about to <laughs> squash you, it is okay sometimes to take a minute. Yes. And I guess, you know, the question is knowing when to do that. And of course, that's always the tricky part. And I think it's what you said. It's really comes down to, do you have enough information? Because a lot of times 
when I don't want to make a decision, whether it's a work thing or even a life thing, like when to pick vacation dates or when to plan a dinner or just any little thing, very often there isn't going to be more information. Yeah. Nothing is going to change. So you can make this decision now, or you can make it in five minutes, or you can make it in five hours or five days, but no matter what, you're never going to have more information than you have at this moment. So it really is biting the bullet. But other times, like in this incident you were just mentioning, we did know, okay, if we wait 48 hours, we're going to know significantly more than we know now. And that's times when it's worth saying, okay, we can wait a beat on this. Yeah. And it just so happens that, yeah, 48 hours later, we did have information that allowed us to make the decision. And it wasn't, I think, what was expected. Yes. It was the outcome that we wanted, but that we thought we weren't going to get. So had we just made a decision, we would have gotten a less desirable outcome. Right. So it was good to wait. Good presence of mind on your part. (laughs) All right. So sometimes we will not be decisive, even when we feel compelled to be. Yes. And we think you should do the same. (laughs) Coming up, we will talk to our writer's assistant, Kyra Bennett in From the Outer Office. But first is break. Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Okay, Liz, it's time for our From the Outer Office segment. And today we're going to talk to our writer's assistant on Fantasy Island, Kyra Bennett. Kyra, welcome. Hi, Kyra. Thank you. Happy to be here. And you aren't just like a writer's assistant in theory. You are here in Puerto Rico with us. You know, for a, for a long time, it just felt like you were like a floating head on Zoom. Um, <laughs> but now we know you in real life, which is so much more fun. But tell us first, Kyra, just a little bit about yourself. How did you come to Fantasy Island? <laughs> <laughs> By plane, but no, um, yeah. It feels like a really quick journey getting here. Um, was at Sony corporate office working for one of the co-presidents in January. And by the second week of January, or yeah, second week, I was on Zoom with you all, which is pretty great, but also pretty crazy. I guess I'm just fortunate that the Sony corporate team was uh, happy to see me go um, at the same time (laughs) as (laughs) being a little sad. But yeah, so I'm from the East Coast, Maryland. I did a lot of my growing up there. My dad was in the Air Force, so I traveled around a bit when I was younger. Ah. So yeah, I went to Temple University for my undergrad and had the chance to come out to LA uh, to do a study away program. And that was my big introduction to the industry. So Temple was really hands-on, you know, 
filmmaking, indie filmmaking mostly. I knew nothing about, you know, the actual business side of it. So it was kind of like a slap in the face where I did a did a couple of internships and uh, kept my ear to the ground figuring out how I can get back into the business side of it, um, the industry. Yeah, and I, uh, divine intervention, I found someone in my internship program, one of the coordinators who slipped my resume to someone at CAA, which is the talent agency I eventually ended up working at. But somehow, again, divine intervention, I interviewed for a full-time position, didn't get that, but I got a call at the top of 2015 from the internship program head who asked me if I wanted to come and do an internship there. Um, and so I was like, yes, absolutely. Gave me two weeks to get to LA. And yeah, from there, that's that's where everything pretty much started. That's fascinating because we always say that one of the best ways to get started in the industry is as an agency assistant. Yeah, I was told the same. That's why I ear hustled to see who could get me <laughs> And it's true. <laughs> I'm glad to know it's true. Do you think, Kyra, that's because you just learn all these different facets of the business working there because it's so much information? Or is it because of the other assistants you meet and the network you build? Like, why do you think that's such a good entry point? Honestly, everything that you just said, that you get to meet great people. Some of my closest and best friends I met at the agency. And you, it honestly feels like the heartbeat while I was there. And this is something that they preach. So I could still be, you know, Uh (laughs) regurgitating the Kool-Aid that I drank while I was there. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it feels like kind of like the heartbeat of the industry where all of the creators, you know, the business heads, you know, congregate on a daily and, you know, make these things happen and all all of this deal making, all of these conversations, interesting ones, you know. I worked for a TV lit agent. She was the only black female, black individual in the department. And so she was a junior covering agent at the time. She might not, she didn't really feel that junior to me. She felt like the boss. She was my (laughs) boss. But yeah, her job was so difficult. And just coming, my job was difficult because I didn't understand it. Her job was difficult Mm. because she had to answer to so many people, not just internally her bosses, but, you know, to the studios and the networks that she covered. And so for me to wrap my head around that, I would just, I'll put a button on this saying, I did not last, but I do not regret the time I spent on that desk. It was my, probably my Mm. toughest, most revealing work experience to this date. And I'm thankful to have gone through it to know that I shouldn't look at one single experience to define (laughs) who I am. Interesting. I think a lot of people feel that way coming out of agencies. (laughs) Now, you mentioned the person you worked for was a TV lit agent. Mm -hmm. Tell us, is being a TV writer what you wanted to do when you came to L.A.? Is it something you've discovered you want to do? If you want to do that, I'm assuming that's what you want to do, but I don't know that for a fact. Yeah, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to be a part of the industry. I'm still in the position where I'm like, am I good enough to be a TV writer? I don't know if that insecurity goes away. I've heard that kind of kind of sticks with you. It does. But yeah, I came out to just... Yes, it does. I came out to to put my film degree to use. Um, honestly, that's what I tell everyone. And I wanted to be a part of the business some way, somehow. So I knew from the conversations I had in my internship at Creative Artists Agency to the conversations I had with my boss and just being a witness to everything that happened, that getting there would take getting close to the material, reading a lot of scripts, knowing the names, knowing who to talk to, making connections. That was a big part of why I wanted to work in TV Lit. And from there to the jobs I had following, it was really about sticking close to the material. So after that, I went into development. 
And after that, you know, I ended up at Sony. I mean, not seeing the scripts as they got developed to some degree, but, you know, seeing the good scripts that got made into TV shows, it felt mm-hmm. like a really solid progression for me. So, yeah. And so as far as being a TV writer, it's something, being a writer in general, is something I've always wanted to do since I was younger. Started off wanting to be an author, a novelist. And then I looked at the page count for some of my favorite stories and I was like, maybe I should try <laughs> scaling back a bit. And so, yeah, it's something and going into this job and the opportunity you all gave me, I just wanted to learn a bit more about it and, you know, hear from real life writers and see them operate in the room to really define what's my next move will be for the long run. Well, I just have to say, when we talked to Jason Clodfelter, who was your boss at Sony, he loved you and had just the best things to say about you because this is your first writer's assistant job. And so I just want to know, one, you're really good at it. Oh, thank you. And I'm curious to know, I mean, it's kind of incredible because it is your first show, but is the job what you expected or is it different? You know, it's... (laughs) In all good in all good ways, it's a mixed bag <laughs> of expectations. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you didn't I'm think someone... you would be in Puerto Rico right now? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, absolutely not. Not Puerto Rico. That was far, <sighs> far from it. What I like to do or my motto is when I step into new things is um, you know, leave your expectations at the door so you can either be excited. <laughs> I mean, I don't like to veer into disappointment. And I'm grateful for the excitement part that I stepped into. Uh but um yeah. I think I'm still stuck on being in Puerto Rico, honestly. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and Kyra, when we started, um, the job was in, on Zoom entirely. None of us were together. Now we're all together in a room in Puerto Rico. How is the job different? Because I think a lot of people, even if they're not coming to Puerto Rico, a lot of people out there have started jobs, whether it's a writer's assistant or a writer or anything on Zoom. And now people are, you know, starting to move back into the office. How is it different? I think this it's the energy for me. Mm. And I'm someone who likes to collaborate. I, <laughs> in some office environments, I'm ready to go home. But being in the room, everything just, the flow is different. You know, obviously the conversations are different. And you all have really set up a work environment that is inviting and welcoming. It felt that way over Zoom. And that hasn't changed in person. If anything, it feels amplified in person, which I'm grateful for, again, it being my first job. So yeah, it's it's a transition. But I guess, you know, being on Zoom for the last year and a half or some change, it's a welcome change. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear you feel it's a welcoming environment. I mean, one thing I've noticed, Sarah, is the hours are definitely longer now. Mm. Because on Zoom, you really can only do like an hour and a half or a two hour session, take a long break and then do another session. Whereas when you're in the room, things just tend to go on, you're working over lunch, you veer off into another conversation, and then you have to get back, and then you have more work to do. I mean, it's so much more fun for me. I mean, I just, the whole reason I like being a TV writer is because I like hanging out with TV writers. So it's fun for me to be back with everybody. But I just have noticed that for the assistants and writers, it does feel that the hours are longer in person. Also, we have a ton of work to do, which, you know, has something to do with it. <laughs> yeah. And the pool is like five feet away. 
and like the perfect yes. lighting. It just, it's just, it's crazy. Yes. We can see all the vacation we're not having right from our room. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, speaking of our sort of crazy schedule, Kyra, after this, do you feel like you could handle almost any show as a writer's assistant? You know, I wouldn't give myself that much credit, honestly. I know <laughs> from the stories I've heard, shows can differ. I just, again, I feel lucky to be on this one. And also after my first job, I like to think, I'll give myself credit that I like to think I can handle, you know, differing work environments. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully, yes. Yeah, hopefully, yes. I think you can. I, I, For sure. I think that I, I have, we have faith that you can handle any job. Oh. Perfect. Thank you. And Kyra, tell us, do you have any advice for people who are interested in becoming a writer's assistant? As many are. I mean, we hear from listeners all the time who want advice. How can I get in a room? How do I get a writer's assistant job? Do you have any advice? You know, I still feel so fresh to the job. I, I will say just from my personal experience, I think there's more than one way to land any job, but room job, um, given that I worked at a studio for two years and, you know, there were multiple shows popping up and I guess it was a revolving door of shows. And so I had the opportunity to, when I felt it was time to just ask, you know, not just my boss, but other executives, you know, if there's an opportunity for me to jump on a show, I would love to. And so they, they heard me and they, uh, they answered that that call. And I, I appreciate them 100% for that. And I appreciate the experience I had doing that. And I have friends who, you know, gone the production a company route and or just had the right connections. Um, so I think it's first, I mean, after listening to you all in the room, you know, the question of do you want to be a TV writer? It's, I think that's something you really, you really should ponder and sit with even after yes. you do get in the room <laughs> as a writer. Yes, assistant. I know. <laughs> we were talking about the downside of it today. Yeah. Does it yeah. make you want to be a writer more or less or both? Probably both, I would imagine. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'll stick with both for the moment. But speaking to what you said, Liz, I am really enjoying being in a room and hanging with writers. Like, I feel like this has been the, again, energy wise, the most preferred environment, not just because of the collaboration, but everyone just feels like they're on this vibe where, you know, it's, it's beyond story. It's beyond comfort. It's just like fami a familiarity that you don't necessarily need to have with, you know, over zoom or in person. I don't know. This is my first room. That's just kind of what I picked up on, but. Well, we do have a cool room. I'll say, <laughs> but our room is pretty cool. Yeah. Our room is super cool, but I do <laughs> think of all the things, you know, we do issue a lot of warnings about TV writing and we talk about what's hard and all of that. But I do think like the the upside is laughing a lot and having and getting to know people in ways that you never would if you were just sitting next to them in a cubicle. Mm. So I'm glad that we're back to that because we really weren't yeah. feeling that so much on Zoom, even though we were sharing. It's just a different level of um, getting to know someone. So I'm yeah, like confession that. boxes on Zoom. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Confessionals, yeah. <laughs> So Kyra, how can people find you on social media? Are you on Instagram or Twitter? I am on both, but I am, uh, I'll admit, I'm, I'm not a big presence. Uh, maybe this can help, <laughs> but they can find me on Instagram at Kyra, K-I-R-A underscore Kenye. My middle name, K-E-N-Y-A-E. -E, and I'll leave it at that, just the Instagram. <laughs> 
Kyra, I just need you to know that now Liz tomorrow will be giving you her lecture about why it's important to have a social media presence. So just be yes, prepared. Be prepared yes, for that. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm writing it on my head already. Lunchtime yeah. discussion. Okay. Thanks, Kyra. Thank you. Appreciate the invite. Thanks, Kyra. Coming up, we have got a nail hack, but first this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Liz, it's time for this week's Hollywood hack. And this actually comes from our assistant, Kimberly. Nail wraps. I have to say, I had been admiring Kimberly's fingernails. Mm-hmm. Turns out, I was like, wow, she's really good at doing her nails. Or she's like somehow managed to find a manicurist here <laughs> yes. in Puerto Rico. She uses nail wraps and they look amazing. Yes, and Sarah, it turns out they're much more affordable than salon manicures, which is crazy because they look so nice. They last just as long. They don't chip, which is, you know, incredible. And they're more gentle on your nails. Plus, they have cute designs ranging from solids to accents to really anything you can imagine. And Kimberly was describing them to us. You just put them on your nails and then you heat them. Yeah, they come with like a little light light wand or something. Yes. And there they are. It's like instant manicure. It's really kind of crazy. They're beautiful. And she uses a gel nail wrap called Ohora. She gets them at Vanity Table. We'll put a link in our show notes. And there's also a non-gel kind. And she says there's lots of brands. Two of them are Dashing Diva and Color Street. We have not done this yet, Sarah, but this might have to be one of our, like, weekend pajama parties we're having. We'll have to do our nails. <laughs> I know. I was flashing back to when we were in high school working on our high school newspaper, and we'd be, like, working away, but you would be, like, on the couch painting your very long fingernails. See, now you can just do a gel wrap. Much easier. I know. Yes, I used to have very long nails, and I painted them, like, at least every other day, religiously. <laughs> How times have changed. I know. So for those of us who are not getting regular mani-pedis anymore, at least for your fingernails, you can get nail wraps. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. 
For questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, king of remote recording. And thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to Kyra Bennett for joining us today. And thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Listen to the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, Do the Thing with Whole30's Melissa Urban, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Fain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. So, Sarah, um, I got my laundry back today, and it was, you'll be happy to hear, $22 as opposed to the $373 you initially got charged. Oh, my God. I still haven't been uh, reimbursed. I'm waiting. I think it should have been like $35. Yeah. So, you'll, well, clearly. So, (laughs) the laundry dilemma Uh, is coming to an end. We've got to figure it out. I hope so. From the Onward Project.